Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There are now more than 1,000 cases in 38 states in Washington, D.C. The largest cluster in the country. It's happening in the New York City suburb of New Rochelle. The National Guard has been called in. New states of emergency have been declared in Colorado, Massachusetts, and Michigan. We will see more cases, and things will get worse than they are right now. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. We have already lost uh, 24, 24 of our citizens. We're heading towards an epidemic in the United States, and the question is what the scope of that is going to be. Tom Hanks and his wife, the actress Rita Wilson, have announced that they have both tested positive for coronavirus. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. That was a year ago today, and we had no idea how much more to, there was to come. And um, one of the things I'd like to ask Tim, the lawyer, about is the last year in terms of personal freedom and private property, since he's an expert in that. And we'll get to that. Indeed, Tim, the lawyer, Sandifer, is the vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. He's also written a number of interesting books, including The Ascent of Jacob Bronowski, uh, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st America and uh, 21st Century America, and one of my favorites, The Permission Society, which was inspired by this dopey little radio show. Tim Sandifer, how are you, Tim? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I n- Terrific. I noticed from your Twitter picture... You changed it. I think you're planning on running for office. It has the look of a guy who's running for office. It really does have a sort of I'm I'm running for governor kind yes. of vibe to it. Doesn't it? Yes, it's not it does. really intentional, but I just you know I thought I should update it because my my previous picture did not have my COVID long hair. <laughs> so you still have the beard, do you? I do, and I have and longer I have hair. hair Hair down past my ears at this point. I really need to take care of this. But you're standing in a you're standing in a lectern in a suit and tie and like pointing and your mouth is open like you're really telling a crowd what's going on. So yeah, Tim Lawyer clearly running for office. Yeah, God looking forbid. like a Marxist. No, I've, I, the, my wife has put her foot down about this that if I ever run for office, she will leave me. So oh, interesting. No, that, that, <laughs> That is a, a, a wise woman. So let's uh, we are anxious to talk about just the. The liberty, the history of the last year in terms of uh, liberty and how quickly we've given it up. But we want to pay heed to what you've been working on specifically these days, which is civil asset forfeiture, something a lot of people don't even understand exists. Oh, yeah. And and I don't blame them because it's so contrary to the basic principles of American liberty that it's it really stuns people to learn what goes on. And this is a a legal principle that says that the government can take away your property on the theory that the property was involved in a crime and then just keep it without filing charges against you and certainly without convicting you of any crime. They just come in and they take the property. And what happens then when they take it is that you get a, a little document that says, hey, we have your property. If you want it back, you have to come come down to the to the, the police station. You have to sue us, basically. 
And of course, when you do sue them, what that means is, since it's technically considered a civil proceeding, and since you are technically the plaintiff, the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply, which means that you can be forced to testify against yourself, and you're required to prove your innocence instead of the government having to prove your guilt. So what happens is, basically, the government, the, the police officers can target you, take your property, and then force you to come and pay to get it back. Well, give, give me an example. Like, um, I get pulled over at night and they suspect me of drunk driving. Could they just take my car? Oh, certainly. And they, absolutely they could. Or if you just have a lot of cash in the car, or if they just think that you have, you know, might be engaged in some sort of drug trafficking, trafficking or something like that, or even a relative of yours. So just this week, we've got a, a good result in a case in Massachusetts where the police officers seized our client's car because her son was engaged in drug crimes, uh, allegedly, and the police officers decided that she was involved somehow, uh, or the car was involved somehow, and, and took it and put it in an impound lot and left it there for five years before even serving her with the paperwork. Wow! They didn't even let. They didn't even say, "Hey, by the way, you can get your property back." Until this year, when they took the property in 2015, they took this car in 2015. When she was, they never accused her of being involved in a crime. They've never filed charges against her, let alone convicted her in court or anything like this. They simply kept it. And guess what? When we showed up and said, "Hey, we're a bunch of lawyers and we're prepared to take this to court," they backed down and gave her back the car. And that so, happens time and time and time again. The government takes this property on the on the in the assumption that you are too afraid to get it back. Now, there's no interest in the police or there's no benefit to the police having a lot full of impounded cars. What's the incentive? Why is this happening? A lot of the time they sell it at those police auctions and things. They're also allowed to keep the, the cash. They all, uh, cash is very often sto- uh, seized by the government. And remember, this idea is that it's supposed to be, this is supposed to be a tool against big level drug kingpins, right? Like you see, like back in the olden days when you saw it on Miami Vice, it was always, either, they're going to take some, some big drug kingpins luxury yacht or something. But the reality is that most seizures through civil asset forfeiture are very small, less than $500 in most cases. And most cases, people are not even charged with a crime. And this is, amounts to an enormous amount of, of money flowing into police departments since they're allowed to keep this money. In Massachusetts alone in the past 20 years, it's been $327 million that has been seized through asset forfeiture that goes directly into the accounts of law enforcement on top of the tax dollars that they already get. So there's reason to believe that some of it is just a profit deal. Absolutely. We call it policing for profit because the uh, these forfeitures pay for themselves. And the prosecutors very often like to use that as an advertisement. They say, hey, this is a great program because it pays for itself. The reason why it pays for itself is because the government isn't bothering to have a lawyer actually show up in a trial court and prove the defendant guilty. They're just taking the cash and pocketing it. And the law enforcement in this country has become truly addicted to this influx of cash to the point that many law enforcement agencies don't even bother prioritizing crimes such as rape and murder because those have no profit-making aspect to them. They they prioritize going after property from people that they say in some vague terms might somehow be involved in a crime. We had a case in Tucson just a a, a couple months ago where the, the, the police 
seized our client's Jeep because his girlfriend drove the Jeep to a 7-Eleven in order to arrange for the sale of an ounce of marijuana. And they seized his brand new Jeep. And when he said, I want my Jeep back, they said, well, if you give us $1,900, we'll give you back the Jeep. Where did the $1,900 come from? They just came up with that amount. They just said, eh, give us a little back sheesh, and we'll return the Jeep to you. Then when we wrote them a letter and said, hey, by the way, now the guy's hired a lawyer here at the Goldwater Institute. Eh, they backed down. Oh, no, you can, you can, you can have your Jeep back. You don't oh, have to pay for wow, it. Oh, wow, that's something. so mobbed up. That, that's just the mob. Again. That's the mob. Well, how in the name of James Madison does this square with the Fourth Amendment? It absolutely does not. But what happened was, it's, this is actually a very, very old legal principle. In fact, it was around in the Founding Fathers' Day, and it was one of the reasons for the American Revolution. What happened was the British government expanded the authority of what was called admiralty courts, which were supposed to be governing crimes at sea. And the British government expanded their authority to allow British admiralty courts to hear cases that arose on land. And what they would do is they would do just this. They would seize people's property and force them to come in and prove themselves innocent of a crime. And the judge got to keep a cut of it if he ruled against the guy. So that's why when you read wow. the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence refers to this. It says, it, it says that the king has subjected us to a system of laws that is alien to our Constitution. They're talking about these admiralty courts which were engaged in asset forfeiture 200 years ago. And yet we allow it to go on in the United States today because of, of course, the drug war. The most famous of those cases, of course, Yar versus R. <laughs> which was decided in favor of R. Tim, the lawyer, Sandifer. Tim Sandifer is the VP for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, Jack, you ready to move on to uh, the last year and the incursions into personal yeah, liberty? Yeah, so the president's given a sp- address to the nation tonight because it was one year ago today that the WHO officially declared it a pandemic. You, you can pick a variety of days as the Bunch official. China-loving liars. Beginning, but uh, as a guy who's written books and spoken and thought a lot about private property and personal freedom, <sighs> What's your overarching feel about this last year? Uh, is this shocking to you that these things happen? Not surprising what? Well, I would say that my overall feeling is that it's um, very complicated. It's a lot more complicated than people on either side really want to admit. Because we're not talking about something that government has absolutely no business doing. Like when we're talking about something like eminent domain or the government takes away your house and to build a shopping center there, government has absolutely no business doing that whatsoever. But when you're talking about a pandemic and stuff, obviously government does have a legitimate role in protecting people against infectious diseases and things of that sort. So it's, it's harder to draw clear lines. But what you find is a lot of the time the government says, oh, well, we've got this great idea, so we're going to do this truly crazy wild thing based on what was originally a good idea. And so you find things like in Pennsylvania, for example, and the governor says, well, we're going to shut down all these businesses. But by the way, you can come to me and ask for an exemption. And I will grant exemptions based on purely arbitrary criteria, and I'm not even going to tell you what my reasoning is as to whether or not people get exemptions. And by the way, my friends get exemptions, but other people don't, and that sort of thing. And that's a real problem. And so there have been lawsuits all across the country over stuff like that, but those really do violate the Constitution. So it's hard to answer the question in the abstract. One thing, though, I would say that is a real concern is you, you mentioned my book, The Permission Society, which was indeed inspired by conversations on your show, especially Joe likes to say whenever you hear the word permit, remember that a, a permit, that's actually a verb. The government will permit you to do something. 
And the, this, we are sliding very quickly from a country where you are free to act unless you're harming somebody else into a permission society where you are not allowed to act unless the government allows you to. And when that happens, then you have to satisfy the government. You have to say, may, mother, may I, before you do whatever the thing might be. And I would say California, for example, has, has basically become the permission society where you, you, there's virtually nothing you can do without some kind of government approval, which depends on, on the largely arbitrary decisions of bureaucrats at the city, county, state level, and so forth. Well, speaking of Cal Unicornia, what really troubled me about the COVID response was that there are specific statutes that describe what an emergency is and when the governor can invoke emergency powers. And there has been nothing close to an emergency for many months now in most California counties. And yet, apparently, the mechanisms for correcting that are too slow or something. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, when it comes to government, so government wants to protect people's safety, right? So let's say the, the government wants to protect, and, and this is, let's say they're all being very conscientious about this. Let's put aside any question about bribery, self-dealing, anything like that. Let's say these people are all angels and they want to protect people's safety. Well, the safest thing to do in almost every circumstance is nothing whatsoever, right? Because if there, there's always a risk to doing anything. We call that a type two error as opposed to a type one error, which is when you go and do something and, and it really is risky and you don't know what you're doing, right? A type two error is when you decide, well, gosh, better safe than sorry. And the, the, there, there's an old, uh, in fact, Thomas Aquinas, the, the old philosopher, used to say if, if the captain's number one priority was safety, he would never leave port. Mm. And that's what happens when you prioritize safety over other concerns is you actually end up hurting people more, for example, by withholding medical treatments that could save lives. You say, well, I don't know if I'm going to allow people to sell this medicine because it might hurt people. Well, yeah, but it might cure more people. But see, the government won't get punished if it refuses permission. It'll get permission if it allow. It'll get punished if it allows permission, and that thing ends up hurting people. Then you, then it's a scandal, right? Uh, well, how dare you allow the sale of this dangerous medicine? And that becomes a big deal. But if the government refuses to allow a good medicine to go out, well, nobody finds out about it, right? It, it never occurs to anybody because it just never went on sale. So what the government does is it's overly conservative, and I, I don't mean that politically conservative. I mean, it's right. temperamentally, it's overly conservative. It's, it's afraid to take risks, and there's no incentive to do so. Who wants to be the elected official in California who stands up and says, I don't know, I think it's time for us to waive this state of emergency, and then is wrong, right? They're terrified of that. And so there's every incentive for keeping the state of emergency in place. And there's really no mechanism for eliminating it. What California and other states need to do is to have a law that says a state of emergency automatically terminates unless it is renewed by the state legislature. That's There it is. And California doesn't have that. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation for the Goldwater Institute. As always, we're sitting here wishing we could talk to you all day, but we really need to take a break. Tim, really interesting stuff. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Kansas is doing that, and every state needs to do that. Your your emergency powers last X number of days, and then it has to be renewed by the legislature. Or Amen, brother. Perfect. That'd be a good uh, outcome of this whole thing. More on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
I'm like Joe on the whole NFT story. I can't tell whether this is really interesting and something I need to pay a lot of attention to and learn more about, or if it's just nuts and crazy and it'll go away. It's a bubble. And it's is it weirdness. digital fidget spinners? Di- yeah, digital fidget spinners. Very good, and, Sean. And these are these little like digital things people are buying and selling. Yeah, we started last week talking about the uh, the, the the sports memorabilia aspect of it. Um, this is the digital art version of it, where here's one that set a record last night, sold for $7.5 million. Yeah. It's a little digital piece of art. Um, it's pretty basic. Then there's this one that's more complicated, kind of looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. Um, it was selling, and it has just sold for $69 million. Holy crap. That's the price of real art. I mean, like real like top-tier You've got a, a Picasso Whatever that art. Means. Yeah. Well, you know, the expensive stuff. Oh, yeah. I get it. I'm just saying that that whole world is a little weird, too. I mean, it's... Oh, sure. But $69 million for something that only exists digitally. And can I get... Well, I'm holding in my hand an exact exact replica of it, aren't I not? Can I get... Yeah, yeah. That's that's the picture that they, they, they paid the money for. But, but again, I also want to put... Uh, this caveat on all these things, right? These are not people who have, have withdrawn $69 million out of their savings account and bought this. These are people who have been splashing around in crypto for years. Crypto, uh, Bitcoin is at 50000 They got in probably when it was in double digits. So they have found new ways to play with their crypto wealth, and they know that these big dollar signs get headlines, and they are also... Uh, it is beneficial to them to demonstrate that you can exchange cryptocurrencies for value. Okay. So that's what a lot of these big value dollars are, uh, are crypto millionaires flexing yeah, their weight. That's what I thought. I wouldn't pay more than $58 million for that thing, <laughs> that piece of crap. <laughs> that's By the way, Jack, go ahead and splurge and print it in color. <laughs> Come on. It's worth $70 million. Wow. I, yeah, I'm learning every day about it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Would you describe what's happening on the border as a crisis, given how these numbers are spiking so much week by week? You know, I think the... I really, I'm not trying to be cute here, but I think the fact of the matter is we have to do what we do regardless of what anybody calls the situation. And the fact is we are all focused on improving the situation, on changing to a more humane and efficient system, and and whatever you call it wouldn't change what we're doing. That's old what's-her-face who's in charge of the border. Uh, I do agree with her, and I think I probably disagree with her on everything under the sun, except the whole is-it-a-crisis thing. Please stop with that. Um, It was funny, listening to Nakedly Progressive Radio this morning, they were actually reporting on the border crisis and admitting that it was a crisis of terrible proportions. But it was funny, they kept self-consciously saying, now this uh, this trend has been going on since... Uh, last year of rising border crossings, but uh, three times as many people did cross in February as January. And I'm like, wait a minute. You can't call a 1% rise, then a 2% rise, then a 1% rise, and then a 40% rise, a trend that's been going on since last year. So did you see Jonathan Swan of Axios on uh, Fox yesterday? 
talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Axios has been doing some great reporting on this. And Jonathan Swan said one of the most confusing things about this is how they weren't prepared for this. It's completely 100% predictable that if you told the world, hey, we're getting rid of this and this from the Trump era and we want you're all welcome, blah, 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 all the things that they said and did, 100% predictable that there's going to be a rush to the border. How are you not prepared for this? That's what Jonathan right. Swan was saying. Um, that He said that's the most confusing aspect is how were you not prepared for what was obviously going to happen? Right. And what frustrated me, again, about the NPR coverage is they mentioned that there was the huge rush by uh, the unaccompanied minors in 2019. But the difference is that that came out of market forces and the Obama era policies. And when Trump finally was able to get control of it and control of the border and settle everything down and make agreements with Mexico and make agreements with the so-called Northern Triangle, the Central American companies. Everything was settled down. And then the Biden administration just blew it up. And so it's a very different situation. But, you know, it's the, the typical biased reporting from NPR. Not surprising at all. Coming up was the Lady Gaga dog napping a gang initiation. And San Francisco Board of Supervisors woman wants to track and punish mansplaining. Well, and did the chance that Derek Chauvin gets charged with first-degree murder just go up? Some people believe it did, so stay tuned for that story. I Uh, will. Back to the border. um, the The Mexican government is concerned that President Biden's asylum policies are encouraging illegal immigration and providing revenue to drug cartels through human trafficking across the border. Mexico has asked the Biden administration for help to provide developmental aid to Central America because so many people are coming up through the Honduras, Nicaragua, Guatemala, etc. Um, they, they see him as the migrant president, and so many feel they're going to reach the United States. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. How many names does he need? I know it. I got like names. Anyway, the president of Mexico said they see J- Joe Biden as the migrant president. We need to work together to regulate the flow because this business can't be tackled from one day to the next. And he's worried the drug cartels are making a lot of money. So you've heard this stuff about how you get a, like a wristband or a stamp. You pay the drug cartels how much money you're supposed to pay them to get to come into the United States. And then you get a stamp or a wristband or something like you're getting into an cl- exclusive nightclub. And mm-hmm. you have to have that to get across. If you don't have it, you can't get across without paying. And obviously that is not a cool situation to be having. A lot of people don't realize that the drug cartels, or just call them the cartels if you want, they've really switched their business model. It's like, you know, a huge part. What was the company we, we realized the other day? Most of their business, Amazon, their, uh, their cloud computing business is bigger than the retail business. Well, the cartels, uh, human trafficking business and kidnapping business is in some cases bigger than their drug business now. Significantly bigger in some cartels. They are a human trafficking cartel, and their profits are now skyrocketing thanks to the Biden administration's hasty and ill-conceived moves. And again, how did they not foresee this? How did they not have a plan for it, both logistically on the ground and from a messaging standpoint? Their messaging on all this has has seemed like you know they're scrambling to figure out how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. How are you not prepared for this? Well, and the youth facilities are completely overrun now. They're keeping the kids way longer than the law says they're allowed. They're having to keep them in the very cages, folks. The specifically exact same cages that the Trump administration was murdered for. The kids are now in those cages. They're having to open up military bases, the rest of it, and they're scrambling to do it. It's just, it's terrible. I can't believe the people around him are so ideologically misguided that they didn't realize what was going to happen. 
The, it just it seems like a self-inflicted wound, just politically speaking, never mind the humanitarian crisis. So there's an update on the George Floyd trial. Does this make it more likely that that cop gets charged with first-degree murder? That's what National Review says. Stay tuned for that. Update Plus the Lady Gaga dog case. You follow your case, I'll follow mine. Hey, speaking of crime and punishment, everyone wants to keep their home and family safe, whether it's from break-ins, fire, flooding, medical emergencies. you got to get yourself Simply Safe Home Security. They deliver award-winning 24-7 protection. Yeah, cameras, sensors, we're talking, they got your back day and night ready to send police, fire, and EMTs to your house when you need them most straight to your door. Simply Safe is simple to set up, simple to order, simple to buy, simple to, there's no long-term contract, so sign up for or get out of if you want. No hidden fees. You set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. Couldn't be easier. And we've talked a lot about homes, but your workshop with all your expensive tools, your band's rehearsal space, your art studio, whatever you need to protect, Simply Safe can customize a system for you. It's a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Just visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong for your free security camera. That's right. They throw in a free camera because you know us. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Do it today. Easy to set up. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So we had mentioned that um, uh, there was a, an update in the whole George Floyd case. And the policeman, Derek Chauvin, who's uh, on trial. Um, oh, man, I'm sorry. The story just disappeared from me. Crap! Son of a... The downside of reading from your phone, I guess. You know, I'm going to have to do this next segment because I got all kinds of problems. They're just wanting me to log in. and Oh, stop it. I'll tell you this, the people who stole Lady Gaga's two French bulldogs and shot her dog walker may have been part of a gang initiation. And the woman who found the dogs has not yet received the half-million-dollar reward because the cops have not cleared her yet. Obviously, a human being got shot. It's a terrible story. Horrible. I mean, even though that the dog walker lived, he I think it's a he, right? Yeah. He will bear the scars, psychological and oh. physical, for the rest of his life. Now, was the original reporting I heard correct? That he got shot in the chest four times? Uh, I don't know. You would there never so many be the same out of, after that. Even oh, if no. physically you completely recover, you'd never be the same person after that. And you probably wouldn't physically recover no, from that probably, 100%. It's absolutely wouldn't. tragic. But uh, evidently there's been a, a surge in that sort of crime in L.A. lately, according to TMZ. And as goofy as they are, they know L.A. and they know crime in L.A. Um, and they think it may have been a gang initiation. I tell you what, I'm just joining a gang and somebody tells me, you got to steal Lady Gaga's bulldogs. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, do they do they think they knew it I was gotta Lady Gaga? i got to get in a better gang. Because we've heard a lot about how these French bulldogs are worth a lot of money and they're being stolen. Did the, Are we certain that they knew it was Lady Gaga's dogs? Ah, uh, no. No. Because they haven't busted the people who did it yet. So uh, I haven't heard the cops addressing that question because I've, I haven't really paid much attention to the case, John, honestly. Any, but... any gang that is willing to kill somebody... Just to get into the gang, and uh, somebody is walking dogs down the street. Man, you got to lock all those people up forever. Well, you know, if you're familiar with uh, you know some of these humans, if they can make a profit of five figures off a couple of these French bulldogs, please, they'll gun you down just for looking at them wrong. So if there's thirty, forty thousand dollars involved, or even hell, five thousand dollars involved, hell yeah, they'll kill somebody for that. Looking at the dogs wrong, or looking at them wrong? Look at I'm looking at the people wrong. Sorry. How am I supposed to look at the dog? With respect, you don't stare at it. That's a challenge. So is dogs. that, have have those dogs always been worth that much, or is that the hot dog right now? 
I think it is. <laughs> I, I, pardon now me, I want, now pardon I want me, a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> I work with Homer Simpson. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's unquestionably the hot breed. Yeah, one of the hot breeds among you know the moneyed class. That's funny how that comes and goes. What's the dog to have? Since most of us, you know, we get a dog in or two, and we have them their whole lives, and that's a dozen years or so. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of trends come and go in the 12 years before I ever need another dog. Right, yeah. Which is why I just bought kind of a, a neutral colored dog, and I repaint him every few years <laughs> uh, to look like the hot breed. Uh, Baxter is now painted, uh, and he has some prosthetic jowls to make him look like a French bulldog. I'm very status conscious. He was a Dalmatian for a while when that was hot. Remember when Frazier was on the air? I think that's when the Jack Russell Terrier craze was going on. Yeah, I put a big wig on him, so he looked like the world's biggest Jack Russell. And then I think Paris Hilton caused the Chihuahua craze. Lady Gaga, is Lady Gaga responsible for the French Bulldogs being worth so much money? I really... Really don't know. Well, it's a bubble. It's a bit of a bubble. I got to know when to sell. You want to sell when it, at the height? Otherwise, you got a room full of French You've been bulldogs. Buying the French bulldog oh, dips. I got a whole. Yeah. <laughs> I have got a whole barn full of French bulldogs. I'm just waiting until when I think the peak is of the market, and you don't want to get out too late, or you know, but you don't want to leave money on the table either. All right. So every night I got to feed. I'm, I'm leaving the room. Every you night I got to continue f- this. Go ahead. Every night I go out to the barn and feed 800 French bulldogs. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Running a bulldog mill. That's despicable. <laughs> um, it's a serious topic. The fr- the uh, 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 George Floyd trial. First degree murder now seems likely, at least according what? to one commentator. So uh, we'll have that for you coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Okay, I get it now. So it's a little clickbaity. Little clickbaity. I mean, it's uh. So the 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 headline in the Twitter was the chance that Derek Chauvin gets convicted of murder just went up. Right. With you kind of jumping the conclusion that. You know, maybe it's the first or second degree, but that's not what they mean. The fact that they added this possibility of third degree means that a much lesser charge, but something in the in the murder category could be charged. But that's right. kind of the opposite in terms of excitement of what the headline led uh, me to uh, believe. Clickbait. Yeah. yeah. It's on, clickbait. on Wednesday, the Minnesota Supreme Court declined to delay the trial in order to consider the validity of the third-degree murder charge, so third degree is back on the table instead of just second degree and manslaughter. We'd have to get way into legal weeds to, but to explain why. He'll be <clears throat> thrilled to only get convicted of third-degree murder, won't he? I think he's probably hoping to get acquitted of all of it. And honestly, I, I, if I were a betting man, and I am a betting man, boy, did I make some stupid bets for the Players' Championship. I made some golf bets this weekend. I'm losing. Anyway, uh, if I were to bet on this, I'd say he's acquitted of all charges, just because he more or less followed the training, I mean, to a large extent. And if he is acquitted, you think cities will burn all across America? People will try to burn the cities. Uh, you made a really interesting point earlier. That I did? You did. 
and I congratulate you, that the opinions on whether Derek Chauvin is uh, guilty of murder uh, of George Floyd, the the opinions have swung a great deal from the early days of this. Yeah, USA Today poll on was George Floyd murdered by Derek Chauvin was up near 70%. At the time that the rioting was going on, it's now, and now that all the video is out and the toxicology report and all that sort of stuff, it's down in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think the response by the cities might be different if, you know, if somebody is righteously enraged, you treat them differently than if they're mistakenly enraged. And so in some cities in America, I mean, Portland will burn because Portland always burns and they don't have the balls to stop lawlessness. But in a lot of cities across uh, the United States, the authorities will say, no, you're not burning the city this time. Right. I Yeah, I we've got to figure this out as a country. If we have one of these where... Okay, did this cop do something horrible, or did the cop just do their job uh, the way most people would do it? They didn't commit a crime, and we we've got to get the videos out. We've got to we've got to educate the public on these stories before cities burn down. I would like to see that adopted by our culture, an enthusiasm for accuracy as opposed to passion and anger. Because you're not you're not going to. Um, you're not going to affect all the rioters, but I think you definitely have an effect on city mayors and police forces and public opinion. By Okay, here's the video. Here's the whole body cam footage before you go getting all crazy. This is how it went down last night. See, he threw the first punch. I'm not talking about George Floyd, but in other instances that have happened over the years. Here's him not cooperating. The stories you've heard, hands up, don't shoot. Look at that, never happened. Hands up, don't shoot, never happened. That was the That was the battle cry for people in the streets after Ferguson. That never occurred. Right. You got to push right. back on that early when you've got the if you've got the video, don't hold it back for the trial. I don't know how you handle that legally. Well, and politically, too, you have to have the courage to stand up against the howling mob and say, look, I'm against police brutality. I believe black lives matter. I believe we all deserve our rights. But it was it was a justified action or it wasn't murder or here's the cop's perspective. Nobody in the media wanted to do that at the time. No politicians wanted to do that at the time. It was just it was a even we said things. I I'll speak for myself. I said things I later realized were not accurate. Um, in uh, you know, in a desire to be uh, on the right side of it, to be correct, uh, you know, to not stand up in the face of what appeared to be a legitimate civil rights uh, protest. Now, not the looting and burning—that's never justified. But you know what I mean. It was all—it was just all in that direction. Right. Well, yeah, that just shows you how mob enthusiasms are so freaking frightening. I mean, if you'd have had that. Uh, uh trial right in the midst of all that oh my god did you see the interview with uh, somebody that got booted off the jury because they said they were afraid to be on the jury they just were mm-hmm. flat out afraid for he said i'm i'm willing to do it but i'm not willing to put my family through that my wife and kids if people figure out who we are and start coming after us for being on the jury oh, and yeah. i think there's a real decent chance that happens your radical organizations will 100% attempt to dox the jurors and put pressure on them or ruin their lives or run them out of town or whatever. Absolutely. The Marxists and radicals, they have no compunction. They have no hesitation to ruin people's lives. They, they gleefully do it. This trial is going to be televised when they finally sit a jury, and they've got five jurors so far. They thought it was going to take three weeks, but maybe it'll take less now. Um, court TV is going to televise the whole thing, so I'm going to take in as much of it as I can, because this could end up being one of those 
Big cultural moments uh, in terms of rioting and whatnot when it's over. Is there any chance that the third degree charge came down today so they'd have something they could charge him and convict him of? I mean, how how much is the passions of the moment having an effect on uh, the, the blindness of justice, do you think? I would hope not at all. Um, I didn't read the decision by the Minnesota Supreme Court. Um, prosecutors who are politically aware want that go-to charge that if they don't think they can get the the big charge, they want something there for the jury to be able to grab because it makes them look good, too, that they got a conviction, even if it's a conviction of a minor crime. But I think all this discussion is going to be moot because he's going to be acquitted. And then the discussion is going to be about rioting and and looting and police response and more police brutality. uh, That's in quotes. Um, I think it could be a fairly ugly springtime. And a, you know, a number of cultural <laughs> leaders saying it continues to be open season on black men in America, defying all the statistics. Right. You're going to hear that kind of talk. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, certainly hope not. San Francisco Board of Supervisors uh, communist gal is uh, tired of mansplaining and so is going to secretly record. Well, not secretly. She's announcing it. She's going to record... Uh, city council meetings and have an independent auditor count how much women talk and men talk, how often men interrupt women and how often they are mansplaining. Then she will call them out, not by name, but shame them for their mansplaining. Fantastic. I like a word count. (laughs) Yeah. And she thinks the men are going to be talking more. Well, maybe in a council meeting, uh, maybe that's true. I'm just thinking about, you know, at home so when I'm th- trying to relax. Do- <laughs> <laughs> How many meetings are you in where you would judge uh, the import of what people have to say by the word count, though? Yeah. Uh, not all words are the yeah. same. Come on now. Uh-huh. Armstrong and Getty.